Well, if you uh, happen to be a guest with us this morning, let me add my welcome to those already given. My name's John Sherrill. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to be worshiping with you this morning. Uh, we're in the midst of a, a sermon series in Ephesians, and it's one of those series where you just go straight through the whole book, and we're, we're doing that with Ephesians. And we're halfway done now. We've gone through the first three chapters, and as uh, we've been saying throughout the series, the, the, uh, this letter to the Ephesians could be thought of in, in terms of two halves, the first half and second half. The first half, uh, the Apostle Paul focuses on our identity in Christ, what it, what it means for a person to be in Jesus, in Christ, and, and this, this profound reality that we, we don't achieve this, we receive it. Right? It's not because of something we do and our natural default is what do I need to do to be right and that's not the gospel. The gospel is we simply receive all that God has done for us in Jesus, the, the love that he's extended to us. And then Paul turns the corner moving into the second half here and kind of moves from identity to calling from the question who am I to the question what now should we do? Uh, how now shall I live? I mean that, that kind of thing. So that's where we're at today. Uh, So listen now uh, to some of the words that Paul wrote for us. Reading from Ephesians chapter 4, the first 16 verses. Unity and maturity in the body of Christ. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, We will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. 
so you can feel the turn if, uh, if you were with us for the last, the last messages, the turn from identity to calling, from kind of doctrine to duty, uh, from covenant to living in the kingdom here and now, you know, this, this, this kind of big turn. And uh, Paul starts it all with this, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you. And if you were to look at my, my little scribble notes, I always photocopy the text for the, the, the week and make four sheets with the text and a bunch of blank space and I write a bunch of questions. And one of the questions I wrote here was, what does he mean? You know, who's the prisoner? Uh, are we the prisoners or is he the prisoner? Because you could read this both ways, right? So what's, what's really intended here? What's he talking about? And it actually has a pretty clear answer. If you look at the original language, it really reads like this. I, therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, beg you. So the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, I am a prisoner for the Lord. He's, he's appealing to his authority as an apostle here. He does this very rarely. Most of the time he kind of plays down the authority of, of that office. But here he just lays his cards on the table and says, look, as an apostle of Jesus, I beg you, this is a big deal, what I'm about to say. So he, he plays the biggest trump first. He leads with it, right? And um, then he makes this turn from calling, uh, I'm sorry, from identity to, to calling. Now before we dive into the calling, Let's just call pastor time out for a second and review the identity. Because if you're at all like me, one of your greatest needs is to be reminded again and again of who you really are in Jesus. You know, we've had so much in the church of you should do this and you should do that and you should do the other thing. And the inadvertent consequence of that can be that we feel like we're complete failures spiritually because I'm not doing this or that or the other thing. And I'm not good enough. I'm not doing this. I should be doing this. And all of those thoughts that get into our minds just war against our real identity in Jesus. You know, another place in scripture, the Bible tells us to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. It's referring to that internal dialogue we all have and all, all those phrases that come in it. You're not such and such. You're not worthy. What business do you have doing this? You should do more of this. You should do more of that. Then you might be worth something. All of those thoughts are just, you know, either based on half-truths or straight-out deception, right, that are pulling us away from our identity. So as we make the turn to calling, we do so assuming that the identity piece is solid, right? Jesus told us that whenever we pray, we should start with the identity piece. Remember he said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. I mean, just the two, the first two words, our Father. There's a whole assumption there that Jesus is a perfect parent and and we are children of God in, in Jesus right the apostle John sums up our identity in this way see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are whoa come on now get get the clutter out of our minds whatever baggage has been in there from the distant past or from the past week or from this morning, God's not a religious idea. God is a person and in Christ we are his kids and he loves us. That's the truth. So from that place, Paul then says this, I urge you then 
to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I, I urge you, echoes of the first half of this letter to Ephesians, right? You know, Paul said, remember what Paul prayed just, just last week in that last part of chapter three, that being rooted and established in love, we might have power to grasp the dimensions of Jesus and to know that love that passes understanding. Wow. And then here, he turns the corner and says, now these are the first couple steps in what it looks like to love other people with that same kind of love by which God has loved you in Jesus. So here's, here's the thing. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be humble, be gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. I mean, that's, that's it. Let's, let's, let's think about this. What do these things actually mean? Be humble. The thing about humility in the ancient world was it was not considered a positive character trait. We need to get our minds around that. Humility in the ancient world was not considered a positive character trait. The Greeks never used this word in an approving, admiring way. It was always used to refer to kind of the lowest of the the low. It referred to the abject submissiveness of a slave to a master. And, And how terrible that would be to be in that place. And completely submitted now, now think about it. In, in our culture, uh, we, we encourage each other toward humility. In, in general, you know, it might not be practiced in society as much as we'd like to see. We might struggle with this. Uh, but there's this general sense that humility would be a good thing. You know, when someone speaks and uh, the manner of their speaking demonstrates humility, we think, oh, those, those remarks were quite good. That was appropriate. And when there's an absence of humility in an interpersonal interaction, we feel it and think, Ugh, oh, that wasn't quite right. I mean, culturally, we value humility. The, the business world, even, the, the, what has become kind of a classic book in the business world, Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, huge study of corporations. He found that the primary characteristic that moved leaders from being really, really good leaders to being great leaders was humility. This, this kind of sense of putting others before yourself. N- not, not just in a, uh, a, a little bit, but your primary mode of operating was that way, right? So take a moment and imagine your way into a culture that did not value that. In fact, thought it was a terrible thing. That, that, that was only for the lowest people to, to engage in. And, and now you have an apostle of Jesus who played his biggest trump card right at the beginning and said, now I want you to be completely humble. I, I want you to adopt a, a, uh, a characteristic that everyone in your culture thinks is below them. Okay? You know, we, we value humility. It's a very interesting conversation to consider why it is that we value humility. Uh, if you unpack that, and this is a different message, I would argue that we value humility because of the gospel. That the gospel of Jesus changed the trajectory of societal values such that 
We value this in general terms. This could be considered a common grace, really. But then the Apostle Paul comes into their culture and says, look, I want you to to be completely humble. Not partially, not kind of, not some of the time, completely humble. And, And the primary reference is to our thinking. Be completely humble in in your mind and recognize the worth and value of other people. Here it is. Be completely humble equals have a full humility of mind that recognizes the worth and value of other people. Now now think about the flow of the whole letter again of of Ephesians. Paul says, you know, praying for us that we'd be able to, to grasp the dimensions of the love of Jesus and experience that love, to know it, to understand it and experience it ourselves. And and then the very first thing to which we're called is to humbly recognize the value and worth of other people. Not just the people we like, not just the people who happen to agree with us on a particular issue, not just the people who don't disagree with us on all the the hot topics. Everybody now. Every human being. This is the posture that, that thinks that it is impossible for us ever in this world to lock eyes with another human being who does not matter to God. And as we lock eyes, we don't just see, you know, an annoyance or an aggravation. We're seeing a creature of immense value and worth created in the image of God. That's, that's, that's completely humble. And really, really, there are two reasons for this. That, I mean, this, this, this ties into the whole theological strain of the entire Bible, really. I mean, two big fundamental reasons why we should see value and worth in other people. Uh, one, first, because every human being was created in the image of God. Again, not just some, every single one. Even the ones who spew venom. The ones who attack us, who speak poorly of us publicly. Even they were created in the image of God. And, and second, we should humble ourselves to see the worth and value of others because that is exactly what Jesus did for us. Uh, because in the big picture, in God's eyes, we, we were the ones spewing venom and speaking poorly. We were the ones who went astray, right? And God came after, after us. Look, look at the summary of the, the mindset of Jesus from Philippians. In your relationships with one another, again, the first thing we move toward after God grasping the dimensions of the love of Jesus and experiencing it is our relationships with other people. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. The, the underlining in there is, is mine. That isn't in, isn't in the scripture. It's just the, the, that place that emphasizes the servant nature of Jesus. See, Jesus valued others and put their interests ahead of his own. Again, this, this, this thinking uh, is, is all through the New Testament. Look at this. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility Value, value others above yourselves. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 
So the, the, the first step of living a life worthy of this calling that we've received to be children of God is to have the same mindset as Jesus did toward people. And that was one of seeing their value and their worth uh, and behaving accordingly. That's the thing. Humble recognition of, of the worth of other people. And it, it, it's really a bit of the secret sauce. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you struggle with this. Maybe it's just my weird perfectionist uh, nature. But in my relationships, when somebody bugs me or there's something that's hard or go, is going wrong, there, there's an internal courtroom drama that unfolds in my mind. And I have become masterful in my little inner world of uh, being like that killer attorney from Law and Order, right? Just lining up the points and absolutely decimating the opposition. Just, but all the points are intended to kind of defend me and make me win. Horizontal comparison, you know, squish the other person down so that I'm up here and that's, that doesn't get you anywhere except to make you tired and more restless. So if you want that, you know, uh, what, what Paul is saying is there's an entirely different way. We, we can actually look to God to fill our needs. And when we look toward other people, uh, have absolutely no need to compare ourselves with them and to simply see a fellow human being, uh, a forever creature created in the image of God that Jesus so desperately wants as a member of his family and to be fully mature in Christ. And that's, this is the thing. So be, be humble in our, in our thinking. See the value and worth of other people. Be, be gentle. I think the adverb carries over here too. Be completely gentle. Now, th- this character trait had a bit of a warmer reception in the ancient world. It wasn't just considered bad throughout, but it, it definitely wasn't gentle as we think of it, kind of the cast for milk toast kind of bit. Gentleness was um, a characteristic of the strong when their strength was under control. Uh, gentleness equals the absence of a disposition to exert personal rights. You know, it, it's, it's letting go of that, but, but I deserve, but I'm supposed to get, the, but I, the right thing for me is, it's that, it's just like erasing that from the playbook. I mean, both, both humility, seeing the value and worth of other people and having our, our thinking primarily oriented that way, and gentleness, the strength of not needing to exert your personal rights, both of those things counter pride, right? There's a reason the middle letter of the word sin is I. It's just us. We need that. Pride is the root of all discord. We don't like to admit it, but personal vanity plays into all the stuff that's going on in our relationships. We look to others to provide what it is that we actually need. We're constantly tempted by the, the, the three kind of big classic temptations, appetite, ambition, and approval. You know, pick your category of struggle. 
we all struggle with all three, but we tend to have one that's our go-to one because that's where we feel the greatest need, right? And we're, we're posturing in our relationships with other people sometimes to get that, that hole filled, that need resolved. And when that doesn't happen, we're like, hey, wait a second. But what if we you know, completely turn the tables like Jesus did? And, and in our relationships with other people, rather than posturing to get what we're due or what we feel like we need, what if you entirely let go of that and just took the posture of meeting the other person where they are and attempting to serve them? I mean, in, in this crazy, restless world, that really is the only path uh, to real freedom and real peace and, and real rest. And Jesus was pretty clear. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. His yoke was his whole kind of body of teaching, his view of the world. Right? Take my view of the world, my teaching upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble Exact same words there. Gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. So it feels like another thing we're supposed to do but the identity piece is reiterated here. Jesus is saying I am gentle and humble in heart. I'm gentle, I don't exert my personal rights when it comes to my relationship with you. I'm humble when I look at you, when I look at anyone, I see a creature of immense value and worth whom I want. Wow. You know, I've been around long enough to know that without a doubt, there's somebody here today that the one thing you need to take away from this sermon is that when Jesus looks at you, he sees a person of immense value and worth. He sees you and thinks well of you. And it's after that reality really permeates us that we move on to grappling with the question of how we could be like Jesus toward others. We don't do it by trying harder. That's never the way. Let me say more about that in a moment. Be humble. Be gentle. You know, rest gives up when we, uh, rest comes when we give up the fight for the resources that we need. I, I, I know I've said this before. It's one of my favorite uh, kind of little learnings of uh, kind of original language study. Uh, Bethlehem, the city of Bethlehem, comes from a, a Hebrew kind of compound word, Beit Lachem actually means house of bread. There's a whole thing you can unpack here, right? That Jesus, the bread of life, was born in the house of bread. You know, it's as if God was saying, hey, all of the bread that you need, I will provide. And also that word for bread in, in Hebrew, lachem, is the, serves also as the root for the Hebrew word for war, for conflict, for struggle. And the understanding in Hebrew of war is that it's the struggle for the resources we need. That war is always about 
a fight for resources, for something. And, uh, you know, being, being gentle, being humble in heart just is letting go of that struggle and understanding that all that we need has been provided by the bread of life, right? Be humble, be gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And this isn't just patience in the sense of uh, kind of, you know, letting the game come to you, that kind of thing. This is an active patience now. This command hits us where we live. I know it hits me where I live, so I know it hits you where you live too because we're all in the same boat. Um, who, who is it that really gets under your skin? I mean, really, just, uh, you know, you know the person that comes to mind or, or you had in mind the last time you, you said or thought something like this. I can't believe he did that. What did she just say? Who does he think he is? Wow, she just does not get it. Wow, what a... You fill in the blank. I, biblical patience is long-suffering toward aggravating people. And I, I have a really, really deep conviction here. Um, that this, this is what the church is supposed to be. Uh, meaning that we're not supposed to bail on the community of the church when relationships get tough or something goes sideways. As much as we might feel like walking away and getting a fresh start somewhere else, I believe the Lord intends a sanctifying effect in the, in the body through conflict. That there will always be conflict. We're all human beings. And when something's rubbing like this, and, that this is why Jesus gave us the whole process. You know, if somebody offends you, go to them and talk with them. If they won't listen, take somebody with you and try to help and try to reconcile the whole thing because this is the way everybody grows. Be patient. Patience toward aggravating people because that's what Jesus did for me and for you. We were the aggravating people and he hung with us. Now there's a big caveat here. Nobody's called to, you know, be an emotional punching bag nor a physical punching bag. Nobody's called to stay in an abusive relationship. You know, so there's discernment here. Uh, but but in my opinion, especially our West Michigan hair trigger that we pull whenever conflict comes up, just boop, bail, go to the next church. Boop, bail, go to the next church. That, that really should not be. So, there it is. Being a Christian is as easy as that. <laughs> be completely humble. Be completely patient. Bear, be, bearing with one another in love. So Paul led with, you know, the, the biggest trump card and he concludes by playing the second uh, biggest trump card, the left bower, right? It, it's, it's super hard stuff. We get that. But you know what? Jesus loves us too much to let us off. 
because what of value in this life isn't hard, right? Paul doubles down at the end of this whole thing. We are simply not permitted to throw our arms up and say, well, that's just how I am. I don't know, I'll never, I'll never change. I just, I've tried, I just, I'll just avoid him or her. Or it's just not in me to do this. Uh, an apostle of Jesus has given us this command. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. If you were to look back in the original language, you would find it would be difficult to overemphasize the strength of this statement. It is emphatic. It is, it is primary. It means we are to do this, we're to do it now, and we're to keep on doing it. It means we are to pursue unity with haste and passion. It means full effort, sparing no strength in this pursuit of unity with fellow Christians. It means full effort of the whole person, emotion, physical strength, reason, your total attitude, your total approach toward other human beings. Jesus calls us to unity, and the initiative is ours. It's up to us. We are to do it and to do it now. We're not only to do it, we are to mean it. And we're to keep on this as a primary way of following Jesus. If you want to activate your faith, lean into an aggravating relationship with grace and mercy and love, taking the same mindset as Jesus. And then debrief it in prayer and with other followers of Christ. Right. This this is the sanctifying effect that the Lord intends. I really think there, you know, unity and diversity is what we're called to in the church. A new community that Jesus is bringing together. A new humanity. Uh, he he came to create, and 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 in that new humanity, love is the preeminent value, and that leads us on to maturity. And Jesus said it: a new command I give you: love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Right? God, God is calling people from every tribe, nation, and tongue in, into the church. We're called to love one another. God is calling people from every tribe, nation, and tongue into the church. And we're, we're called to be humble and, and to, to see the value and worth in other people. God is calling people from every tribe, nation, and tongue into the church, and we are to be completely gentle to lay down the right to exert our personal rights. God is calling people together from every tribe, nation, and tongue into the church, and we're called to be patient and bear with one another in love. Jesus kind of love now. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And the icing on the cake, or maybe the point, the world will know we are his disciples if we love one another. I take that to mean that my love for you and your love for me will impact the mission of Jesus in the world. And that's a really big deal. Being Christian matters. It really matters. And they will know we are Christians 
by our love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, would you? Lord Jesus, you are good. And we find ourselves kind of stumbling along this journey sometimes trying to follow you. Would, would you help us, Lord? Would you help us to hear you, to see what you're up to in this world? Would you give us what we need to work with you and what you're working out in us to join you in your work in the world, uh, to become the forever kingdom kind of people that you created us to be and into which you're remaking us. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. We ask in your name. Amen.